uh, sermon notes this morning. I want you to take them out. Your Bible's in Philippians chapter 4. We're headed to the last chapter of Philippians. There's some incredible things that God wants to teach us in this chapter. I've had two weeks now to work on it, so you're sitting there going, this better be good. <laughs> Just like the power company, we can overpromise and underdeliver. I'm not sure whether you're going to get it or not. When it comes to needing really good advice, who do you most often go to? Now I know your standard answer is what? Jesus or the Bible or your pastor. But when you really need good, solid advice, who do you normally go to? Write them down. And then just simply say to that individual, whoever it may be, I'm just glad you're in my life. I had another reminder this morning of how valuable you are that when I really need some solid advice, I can go to you and ask you to pray for me or encourage me or just give me some wisdom or direction in life. Now, obviously, it does come from Christ and the Word of God. And Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, like the wise sage that he is, near the end of his ministry life, gives some incredible advice to people he genuinely loves. It's like a pastor to his church family or to a dad to his children. He said, there are some things I want to leave with you. You know how I love you. I started that way. I'm going to stay that way. But there's some really good advice I want to give you. Listen very carefully. It's in Philippians chapter 1. Therefore, my dear brothers, whom I love and I long for. He's not there with him, most likely in prison. You're my joy and my crown. So when I get up on a Sunday morning and I think I get to come to Community Alliance Church, I literally smile because I know that you're my joy. I'm going to get to see you and share with you and love you and hear you talk about what God's doing in your life. This is how you stand firm. And he's going to lay that out. You see it in your sermon notes this morning. He reminds me here of how he began this letter. I thank my God every time I think of you. Every time I think of you, in all of my prayers, I pray with joy. It's right for me to feel that way about you since I have you in my heart. Now, one of the main reasons that Paul loved the Philippian church, like any pastor would love a church who really understands the grace of God, not only did they understand it, they embraced it. Not only did they understand what God had done for them, they received it. They embraced it. And not only did they receive it and embrace it, they gave it away. It's one thing to know what Christ has done in your life. It's one thing to know what God is doing in your life. It's another thing to be able to give that away. This is what I have found in Jesus, and I don't want to keep it to myself. I want you to hear what I have found in Christ. When you're in darkness, going through deep waters, life seems uncertain, you're facing death or the uncertainty of the future, I want you to know what I have found in Christ. Right? Every day of your life, you're going to come across people who are looking for some answers in life. And you and I who sit here on a Sunday morning have those answers. You may not have every answer to every question. I certainly don't. But you have the answer to what they're looking for in life in Jesus. And you have the opportunity to demonstrate it, to visualize it, let them see it in you, and then to give it away. To be able to answer their questions and say, well, this is what I have found in Jesus. This is how I have joy in the midst of uncertainty. This is what I do on a Sunday morning and why I love to sing on a Sunday morning. Why I love to read the Word of God. Because it's given me wisdom and direction and guidance. In the middle of a world that is so confusing and so uncertain, this is what I have found. It's one of the reasons Paul loved this church. Your sermon notes, Philippians chapter 4, he gives them some final advice that when you look at it very carefully, it could be written yesterday. 
in a world filled with uncertainty when you're unsure of what's going to happen. And they certainly didn't know if they were ever going to live through it. Let me give you some really good advice. Stand firm. Stay solid. Stand firm in the Lord. How are you going to do that? This is how. Look at how verse 1 ends. This is how you stand firm in the Lord. You work together. You deal with broken relationships. You remember the bigger picture. I plead, verse 2, with Yodi and Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, this is how you stand firm. Keep your focus. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How do you stand firm? Verse 5, you show grace and kindness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace which transcends all understanding. It does not make sense in the middle of difficulty to have peace. But when you ask him, he gives it. And guard your hearts and minds in Christ. How do you stand firm? You have a positive outlook, verse 8. You're not always looking for the negative. So whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, what is admirable, anything excellent, anything praiseworthy, think about that. You've got enough junk to think about in life. So instead of letting all that stuff come in, think about these things. Be an example. Whatever you've learned and received or heard from me, put it into practice. And then that powerful perspective, I know what it's like to be in want. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of contentment that we're going to share next Sunday morning. Let's look at today's advice. Stand firm, stand together. The word picture that Paul uses here in this particular context is to stand your ground, to hold your ground. It's a military term that speaks not just to holding your position, but specifically holding your position when pressure is applied to move. That's when it becomes most critical to hold your position when something or someone is trying to move you away from that. Stand your ground even when you're under attack. It's easy to stand firm when things are going well. If I were to ask you, Remy, to stand up, you would stand up. You'd stay solid. You'd stay standing. But if I pushed against you, you'd probably fall back. It's not enough to stay standing when you know everything's okay. It's when the pressure is applied, that's when he wants you to stay solid. This weekend gave us an incredible example of a number of things, right? This past weekend. Number one, get a generator. Get a generator, figure out how to wire your house. I've got two or three of them for sale if you want to buy one. I had one that I bought from Trader Horn two years before they went out of business. To 15 minutes after I fired it up, house was running, ready to go, it blew up. I mean literally blew up. I couldn't take it back to them. I couldn't find anybody there who wanted it back. Took me a day to find another one, as you can imagine. I'm prepared for the next one, no matter what. But this is the interesting thing about it. If you had, and, and this was an unusual fall, right, because all the leaves stayed on a lot longer than normal. But when you look at the trees in your yard, if you had any that fell, you had no idea, honestly, which ones were the weakest branches until what? Pressure was applied. I mean, you could look at that tree and say, it's going to make it, it's going to stay. But then all of a sudden, when pressure gets applied, that's when you know which branches are the weakest. That's what Paul is saying. Look, I want you to stand firm, not just when things are going well. Because I'm telling you, pressure is going to get applied at some point or the other. And if you're not prepared, you're not ready. You're not standing solid in Christ 
when that pressure applies, you're going to break. Stand firm in first stability. Verses that I have in your sermon notes this morning, 2 Thessalonians, stand firm in what? The truth. Don't be tossing back and forth like infants who, infants who really don't know which way to go by teaching in the cunning craftiness of men in Ephesians chapter 4. Genesis 49, Jacob is calling his sons near the end of his life to give them a blessing. He said, Reuben, you're the firstborn. You have so much potential. You have so much good training, but you are unstable as water. Essentially what he is saying is, with all your training and all your potential, you have no ability in how to use it. And he literally lost his blessing. Paul's advice, stand firm. Stand firm is more than a pep talk, more than a motivational talk. It's more than just gritting your teeth and facing the challenges of the world. He gives us a key to that standing in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord even when opposed to other things that, my, that you might try to get your strength from. And he gives us his story in chapter 3 that we read a couple of weeks ago. Paul thought, I could get all of my strength in my abilities. I could get my strength, I could get life from my pursuits, my accomplishments. Until all of a sudden he realized after that incredible encounter with Jesus, that if I get life from Christ and I get my strength from life, from Christ, and I find my value from him, it really doesn't matter what else happens in life because I've found true value and true strength in him and him alone. In your notes is one of the best ways to stand solid and some of the advice he gives us in Ephesians chapter 6. And since we're not there this morning, I just refer to it and want you to see it in there because he gives us unbelievable list of tools, things that are necessary to stand firm what I want to point out in that is verse 13. I think it's in your notes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, it's not if, right? It is when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. He is telling us to get prepared ahead of time. Of all the things that Satan is known for, the enemy of our soul, he's known at most as the father of lies. He lies about God. He lies about you he lies about where you get value. He lies about grace. It's incredibly important to know the truth and then have solid ground to stand on when the world pushes against you. For those of us who are raising children in school and especially those who are going off to college or have been in college, they're going to hear so many opinions and so much diversity. Every single day of your life, you hear this and you hear that and you're trying to figure out what really is true. God says, I'm telling you. This is what's true. It's in my word. Because you're going to hear all kinds of opinions. So I want you to stand firm in a world that constantly is trying to push you away from your Judeo-Christian values. From your biblical foundation. I want you to stand solid and firm in the truth. Another way to stand firm. Work together. How many of you get along with every single member of your family? Okay, that's awesome, yeah. And they're all here this morning, so that's even better. <laughs> Thanksgiving was a critical test, wasn't it? Yeah, depending on how many people you had in your home, all of a sudden you get all of these people with all these opinions and all this diversity and all these backgrounds and all these differences. You put them in the same room, and all of a sudden, every once in a while, not very often, 
some conflict occurs. Can happen at work. It can happen at school. I'm glad you're sitting down on this one because you're going to be surprised by this. It can even happen in a church. Now, I know you're surprised, right? But once a year, somebody's upset with me. <laughs> once a year, somebody sends us an email that they're not really happy with what's going on. But only once a year, but it's just as surprising. It happens no matter where you go. You put all of those people with all those personalities and all that background in one context, and conflict is going to occur. Paul said you, gotta, you do everything you can to not let that happen. Here in Philippians chapter 4, I plead with Yodiki, I plead with Synthiki to agree with each other in the Lord. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. Even bring Mac Clement if you have to, to help them work together. Oh, just Clement, okay. Paul addresses the issue of unity on a number of occasions. It's one of the things he was most concerned about when he said, the church, you've you got to work together. You've got to show the world what it's like to stay together, to stand together. Do everything you possibly can to maintain unity. Jesus addressed it in his prayer in John 17. Right before he gets arrested, right before he goes to the cross, he prays for you and I. Lord, I, I pray for these guys that are here. I, I pray they stay together. And I pray that those who come to you as a result of their ministry, I pray they stay together. Of all the things that Jesus would have prayed for on that night, he prays for unity. I mean, it's that critical, that important to be able to stand together. John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Can you love someone and still disagree? Absolutely. It's what you let it do to the relationship. Fascinates me in your notes how followers of Christ would be known not for their theology, not for their doctrine, not for their music, not for their kinds, acts to humanity, but by their love for one another. It's incredible when you think about it. Because you would think it would be for our theology or our doctrine. Or the way we, we show love to the community, it's by the love we have for each other. That's how the world will know which ones are his disciples. Those of you who love music know what it's like when all of a sudden with all of those parts and all of those abilities, they come together in incredible harmony. I love Wednesday night we just sang and praise God. Love when we sing on Sunday morning. I love when the worship team gets together. But you put all of those voices with all those different skills and talents and all those instruments on the stage and they all play in harmony. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's exactly what Paul's trying to describe here. He says, you know, I, there's two members of the church who are not getting along, and I need you to help them. Now, you and I could look at it and say, well, it's only two. I mean, it's not that big a deal. It's only two. Paul, how many is in Philippians? I don't know how many is in the church, but if there's only two, it's not that big a deal. Obviously, to him, he's saying it's important enough to address. Text doesn't tell us what the issue is, but it does indicate they're both believers. And he says, I want you to do everything you can to get them to work in harmony. They're significant people in the church here. They have significant roles. Look what he says. They have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. Contended at my side means they're fellow workers. Just as many women in Paul's day as men had incredible roles. He points them out at the end of Romans. He pleads or urges them in the original form in your notes it means to come alongside. It's the same concept Jesus uses to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us to encourage. Here's what I love about this phrase. 
Paul doesn't come behind and push. He doesn't come over them and demand. He comes alongside them and encourages. You get the concept and the flow there? When people are out of harmony, when relationships are out of harmony, he doesn't come behind them and push. He doesn't come over them and demand. He comes alongside them and encourages. I don't think it's an issue of sin or petty bickering. I really believe it's a major difference of opinion. It doesn't really matter. Both can be right. What matters is when we leave it unresolved, and that's the issue that makes it wrong. If Paul were there, he'd come alongside to them and say, look, you both may be right, you both may be wrong. It doesn't matter. Work it out. Either way, I'm not taking side. Which most people want someone to do in the middle of a disagreement. Usually in the midst of disagreements, most people want someone to take sides. As a matter of fact, we'll call or text or Facebook as far as we can go to get somebody to finally agree with a decision we've already made. We're just trying to get them to agree with us. Here in Philippians, it's happening to a healthy church. Paul says, I need you to understand the bigger picture. I point out a healthy church because we often think that relational problems don't happen in good churches. But they do. In your notes, sometimes differences of opinion or differences in the way we do ministry or even what kind of ministry can create tension and disagreement. In your notes, I've seen people at odds over good ministries simply because it's one person's passion and not another. I've heard statements like, how could you not stand up for this cause? How could you not want to feed the homeless? How could you not stand against that issue? How do you not volunteer for this ministry? How do you not worship like us? Why wouldn't you want to offer this class? How could we as a church not offer this ministry? The list literally is endless, and every single one of them are good things. The danger is that if everyone has the same passion for ministry as you do, we may miss the most important thing. We're all on the same side. Now, the beauty of preaching this way and talking about these things is I really believe we're a blessed church. I don't have a lot of issues. I get very, very few negative comments. When I said once a year, I'm honest. Now, I know once a week I upset somebody just because I didn't shake their hand or said, you know, some little thing. But I don't get a lot of negative emails. We're ridiculously blessed here at CAC. But I am saying in a lot of context, in a lot of other ways in other churches you've heard, it's disagreements over the, the, the simplest thing, over the ministry we didn't do or the class we didn't offer or the cause we didn't support. And what we sometimes forget is the larger picture. We're all on the same team. We're all on the same side. There are enough shots at the church from the enemy. We can't have it come from one another. The military has a term called friendly fire. When you get a shot from your own military... The term is wrong. There is no such thing as friendly when I'm being shot from somebody on the same side, right? It's fascinating that they call it that way. There's no such thing as friendly when it comes from the same team. It's accidental in the military, but usually intentional in the church. And Paul said, I'm, I'm pleading with you. You can't let that happen. You can't let that happen. We're a... In this together, we're on the same side. We, we can't shoot at one another. We've got to work it out. Do everything we possibly can to maintain unity. 
Some people think through the years that we're in competition with other churches. There's some great churches in this town. Dave Panther and I used to have an incredibly enjoyable relationship of talking to one another and about one another and whose church is this and what we do and all those kind of things. Then I got to know Eric and I fell in love with Eric. And obviously he transitioned, I, Dave and, and Brandon. And, and Dave, there's just a lot of wonderful pastors in this community that I really enjoy being around. We're all on the same side doing some of the th- same things. Many of us do different types of ministry. Many of us do similar types of ministry. And that's okay. The body is a unit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Made up of a lot of parts, and though the parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. It's the way God designed the church to work. Different parts all functioning together to make incredibly beautiful music. Are there going to be problems? Will there be tension? Will there be differences of opinion? Absolutely. What we have to remember is that we're all in the same family, and families do the best they can to stick together. We need respect. We need value. We need to honor one another. Do the work that's necessary to forget what lies behind, as Paul said, and learn in your sermon notes to disagree in a Christ-like manner. Whatever you do, and again, I, I don't get a lot of it here, but whatever you do, don't send anonymous notes. And for heaven's sakes, don't crucify your friend on Facebook or Instagram. If you have a problem, talk to them. I don't do Facebook, so I'm, I'm your surprise. If you find me on Facebook, God bless you. I don't know how you did it. But I, I've heard so many stories of all the things that are said about people. Kids on social media are, are one-third more likely to have really difficult issues in school or college or wherever it may be, strictly because of social media. The, the, the issues about social media are overwhelming in regards to what our kids are bombarded with. And cyberbullying is way worse anymore than any other kind of bullying that takes place. So whatever you do, I'm just, all, you're, the only, you're the only ones that are going to hear what I, well, they're on, we are on Facebook too, by the way. <laughs> and we're delighted to have you. Please stay with us. What, what I'm saying is, this is the only audience that I have to speak to. And so I'm saying to you, do whatever's necessary to not tear people down through social media and help others to realize, again, the necessity of face-to-face, working through relationships and not through other kinds and other forms. Whatever happens, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Incredible advice. Whatever happens, whatever has happened, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you and only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. When we work together, we can storm the gates of hell and, as Tony said, rescue the lost. In light of that, Paul said, I urge you, learn to work in harmony. See the bigger picture. Remember and understand we're all on the same side. Paul gives incredible advice. Some of the best advice you will ever get is in Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to keep working through it as we do. God, I thank you for the truth. In a world that seems so confused about what real truth is and where we stand and what issues we stand on, I'm delighted that we can stand on the truth of the word of God. And that you've preserved it. Heaven and earth may pass away. You made a commitment that your word never would. 
And so here we are 2,000 years later contending with all kinds of opinions and backgrounds and diversity. And we recognize that you have given us truth that we can stand on in the midst of a very confusing world. Thank you that we can also do it together. I love this church. I love this family. I love that we can do life together and ministry together and serve together and touch lives together, not only here but around the world. So continue to keep our focus on you and one another and working together for the cause of Christ to make a difference in a world that's desperate for answers and desperate to know how to find health, help, encouragement, and strength in the world that I face right now that is so challenging and so different. So help us to be not only recipients of your grace, but people who give it away because we have found what we needed to find in you. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and looking forward to next Sunday. We're going to continue our journey here. And next Sunday, we're going to celebrate communion. Remember, it was to be a couple of weeks ago. We're going to celebrate it next Sunday morning together. Membership class, by the way, has been changed to December the 15th. God bless you. If I can pray for you, I'd love to do that.